This is Jason Holleran. I proudly served for 33 years, culminating as the Deputy Commandant at West Point. Put this on your calendar. World War II weekend inside Old Bethpage Village Restoration on Long Island. Scores of operational vintage armor in formation May 18th and 19th. Nassau County Executive Bruce Blakeman invites you to join him in saluting America's greatest generation and all those who have worn the uniform in defense of our freedoms. That's May 18th and 19th, presented by the Museum of American Armor. This is Keys to the City with Anthony Weiner. Welcome to Episode 9 of Keys to the City, a podcast about the problems facing New York City and the enduring power of ideas. I'm Anthony Weiner. From existential threats to pet peeves, each week together we'll resist the temptation to curse the darkness. Instead, we'll try to light a candle by bringing to light things that have worked before or new ways to get things done. And this week on Keys to the City, if you are getting ready to buy a $40 million condo in New York City, you might want to stop here because you're not going to like the idea that I bring to light today. And it comes from the books of ideas that I wrote when I was running for mayor in 2005 and in 2013. And the time I spent in the city council, I served there from 1992 to 1997. And then from 1998 to 2011, I was a member of the United States House of Representatives. But I was always interested in my city. And the only job better than I thought of being a member of Congress was being mayor of the city of New York. And so when I ran for office, the foundation of my campaign was I said I was going to run an idea-driven candidacy. I didn't have a lot of money. I wasn't as well-known as the other candidates, but I kept kind of a running little list in my breast pocket of ideas that people came up to me with. Sometimes I came up with on my own. Sometimes I'd read about an idea in the newspaper, and I just take these little notes. And so when I ran in, in 2005, I was a member of Congress. I had been in for a few terms there was a – the Speaker of the City Council was running, the Bronx Borough President was running, the Manhattan Borough President was running. And I ran a kind of a long-shot campaign. I surged near the top. I made it into a runoff and then decided not to contest the runoff. But the foundation of the campaign was this book called Keys to the City. Later in 2013, I put out another one called More Keys to the City. This one was kind of one that came from both of them. And it was the idea that we are a city that attracts – not only investment by wealthy people, which is great, but sometimes purchases of real estate that I believe are undertaxed. And I say that because it used to be that a $40 million condo purchase, they had the same transfer tax as the same transaction tax that if you were buying a $1 million or even less than that, a $500,000 one. Then since time I left office, the state legislature and the governor said, you know what, Wiener, you're right. We like this idea. In fact, even long before they did it, when Bill de Blasio, who ran against me in 2013, took this idea almost immediately and tried to get it implemented with a lot of things he tried to do. He wasn't very successful in Albany, some of it because of his his own problems, some of it because of the relationship that he had with the last governor. But in 2019, effective, I think, in 2020, this new mansion tax went into place, and it basically said, okay, if you're going to buy a $40 million apartment or a $50 million apartment, you're going to pay a little bit more than a $3 million. I mean, they made it a little bit more progressive. 
But the idea that I'm bringing to light today is we should do even more than that. And let me explain what the numbers are right now. Right now, a mansion tax is, if you put a $25 million apartment, you're only paying a 4% transfer tax on that. And I think what we should do is make them more progressive because now $25 million is not that much. There was a story in the newspaper not long ago, and we're going to talk a little bit later to the real estate agent that represented the buyer because he's a very interesting cat. In addition to being a real estate agent, he also has written a lot of things about ethical business and also was active in New York life for a while. It was a $70 million apartment, 70.5 to be precise. And that was in the same building that just the same week, there was a half-floor apartment in the same building for $32 million. So the question becomes, is this the type of marketplace that is really that price-sensitive that we should be concerned about another percentage or two? And, and it's not just taxing for tax sake. These taxes, these transfer tax on real estate, are one of the few taxes that are true targeted tax for mass transit. There's been a lot of talk and maybe our guests will want to talk about it, a lot of talk about the commuter tax. Well, the commuter tax, which hasn't come into place yet, that takes regular folks and says, all right, you pay a certain amount to come into the city, and I think there's an argument for that. But this type of a tax, where the people that are benefiting from the great things we have in New York, the safety, the clean street, you know, things we'd like to have, safety, clean streets, whatever, these are people who clearly are investing in New York City as a hedge, because you can't get much investing in the stock market right now. You can't get us putting it in the in a bank account, although the recent increases of rates maybe will, will change that. People not only invest because they want to live here, but they also invest because they believe that the value of New York real estate, as the old cliche goes, they're not making any more of it, is going to rise and rise. And we should tax it at a higher level because it goes to mass transit. Just to give you an idea of these taxes, 90% goes to New York transit. 6% go to Accessori. That's the private bus service that we use to transfer people who are disabled or, or seniors going to doctor's appointments. And 4% goes to the buses. In just the, in this 2022, that's $216 million of revenue that we brought in from that. And this is only also another thing that only goes to New York City because, face it, there aren't $70 million apartments in Rochester or in Buffalo. So this is a New York City benefit. And what I propose is right now, the indexing goes from, from $2 million, you pay an extra 0.25%, up to more than $25 million, you pay an extra 2.9%. I am proposing that they keep indexing that even higher. And I'll go one step further. I think if it is something that you're purchasing and it's not your primary residence, if you're an oligarch that maybe used to buy here, you know, we've gone through these patterns for a while. It was Russians, then it was Chinese. We had a while that it was Brazilians. Whoever they are, people that come here to invest— but it's not their primary residence. Like, it's a, for example, if it's a business that's an LLC or it's a hedge fund that is buying real estate as an investment, you should pay a sales tax. It's no different than buying a VCR, listen to me, a television or a laptop or any other product that you might buy. You pay sales tax when you purchase a car. You should pay sales tax when you purchase an apartment. Now, if you're going to use it as your residence, perhaps I would say you shouldn't pay it in that case. And so the idea here is, look, we have... People who want to invest here, and I'm not saying don't. I am not one of the people that believes it is a bad thing when someone wants to buy an $80 million apartment. And I don't believe that an $80 million purchaser necessarily does anything to harm someone who pays $20,000 a year in rent. I don't believe that's the case. 
But I do believe there's revenue that we should ask them to pay a little bit more. Asking them to pay 5 6 or 7% on an $80 million apartment because the reason that that value is so high is because of the kind of city that we are. And if we wanted to be that type of a city and we want to have the mass transit and we want to have the circumstances that we do, asking them to pay more is not a big ask. And just I want to make it clear. All I'm suggesting is full progressivity because the indexing stops now at $25 million. The difference between the tax on a $25 million apartment and the 70.5 that just sold, there's no difference. I'm only suggesting that we index it, and I'm open to how we do that, maybe a quarter point for every $5 million in value. So that's the idea. And coming up on the other side of the break, as I said, is an interesting person. It's someone who has real-life experience, understands how investors think about this, but he is not someone who is separated from the city of New York. He's someone that's written some books and has been active in civic life. On the other side of the break on Keesler City, we'll hear someone to tell me whether they think this idea is a good one or a bad one. And if you're one of those billionaires that has stayed with us to this point, we hope you stick with us too on the other side of the break. So welcome back to episode nine of Keys to the City. For those of you who follow the program, you know a little bit how the format works. I say what I have to say, and then we get an expert on to kind of give it a thumbs up, a thumbs down, or also offer their perspective. And when it comes to the idea of taxing real estate, there are plenty of people who feel like they're experts. If there's one thing everyone in New Yorker thinks they know, it's how real estate works. But we found a great one today. I want to welcome in Jason Haber. Jason is not only someone who is in the real estate business, He's at Compass. He also wrote a book called The Business of Good. He's someone who has been in public policy for a while, so can speak to not only what makes rich people happy, but also what might be good for the city. So thanks for joining us, Jason. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. So by way of background, you also you wrote this book, The Business of Good. Tell us a little bit about that book. I did. I wrote the book because I was interested in social entrepreneurship. Because I have a public policy background and I work in the private sector, I always felt the two were a bit divided and I was looking for a bridge between the two. And so I found that in social entrepreneurship, it occupies the space where the private sector tends not to go and government doesn't go or won't go for a variety of political reasons. And so I found the space to be very interesting. I had my own firm for a number of years, which I sold. Every time we did a deal, we were funding clean water projects in the developing world. And we found that by having this sort of ethos, people were more interested in working with us. And we grew the company, but we were also doing good at the same time. And so I wrote the book about my experience. And I talked to entrepreneurs, social entrepreneurs all over the world. And I found these sort of common threads between them. And so the book's about how the private sector could be a fulcrum for not just innovation, but for social good. And also how you can grow a business doing that for those who, you know, want to do good, but want to work in the private sector, they sometimes feel hamstrung by that. And so this was I wrote the book for those people who are interested to learn more. And so now you're in real estate in probably, it's hard to think of, a, of an echelon that's quite similar to Manhattan high-end real estate. And nothing you, like it. As you heard in my introduction, I talk about the idea that we have an opportunity to increase the taxes on someone, a group that I think not only is coming to New York, for all of the right reasons in large degree, they're coming here because this is arguably the safest investment you can find. Right. But you have some experience with this. Now, this looks like a typo I read in the New York Times. 
were you just involved in the sale of an apartment for $70.5 million? Everyone leaves off the 0.5. Thank you for that. <laughs> it's still me. a half a million, but yes. So, so just in all seriousness, tell us a little bit about what kind of a person is spending that type of money. And just to make it very clear, maybe there are some people in this conversation that think that's an evil, bad thing. I don't. I think it's an important part of what New York is. But give us a little idea about who those people are. Are they oligarchs from Russia and China, or is it less of that nowadays? No. Well, right now, we're not seeing any of the oligarch money here. This is someone who, this is their primary residence. They came initially to New York for business and fell in love with the city. You know, this is someone who effectively is making a bet. Like, they are betting on the future of the city. You want people like this to make these exact kind of bets. This is who you want coming here. This isn't someone that's using it for like funny money or anything shady. Like they go to the park by themselves. This is a normal, what you call normal people just happen to be obviously very, have a lot of means. But I would argue that the city is better off if we attract this very kind of, of person to the city who's going to bet on the future of the city. Like they have skin in the game, right? Like we're a city of renters, which is a really interesting and weird quirk in New York City. 66% of the residents here are renters, not owners. In almost every other city in the country, that figure is reversed, where they have more owners than renters. When you have more owners, you put more skin in the game, which is why I've tried to argue across the board, not just at the super high end, but at the regular price points too, whatever that means these days. But home ownership is effectively a bet on the future of the city because it puts your your skin in the game. Well, I think that that's something, I mean, I agree with that, but I would say in addition to those people there, we want diversity of circumstances in the city. We can't all be one thing. We don't want to be Monte Carlo, but we also don't want to be a second rate, you know, 1970s Detroit either. But I guess what this conversation comes down to is a question about progressivity in the tax code. Mm -hmm. And it's almost indisputable that someone who can afford to spend $70 million on an apartment is not as price sensitive as someone who is buying a $200,000 co-op in Glendale. I mean, do we agree on that? Yeah, I mean, 100%. I mean, I would keep in mind, though, that that person has now been subject to a four-time increase in their mansion tax payment. From what to what? That started in 2019. So the mansion tax, which started under Governor Mario Cuomo in 1989, was, was a flat 1% fee. If you buy in New York City, it was a state law, but only affected New York City somehow, the increase came up to about 4%, 3.9% for over $25 million. That's a huge increase. And I can tell you, in a deal of this size, when we looked at the closing costs, that was a factor in negotiations. This deal would have sold for a little higher, I believe, if it wasn't for that. Now, no one should cry for someone who, who's paying 70 million, but the point is that they're paying a huge amount of mansion tax now they weren't before 2019. And that all goes to the MTA. God knows what the MTA does with it, but the idea is that money's supposed to fund MTA improvements. Right, but to someone who's buying a $70 million apartment, their mansion tax didn't go up because they didn't know the old fee. To compare it to what it was is, is to take an example that someone, something that someone pays every year and then says, oh my God, this just went up. No, but actually they did because this is their second home in the city and they first well, bought Okay, but, <laughs> but you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, but that, like, 
Well, let me ask you, let me ask you a question. I know that you have a vested interest here because you believe in these transactions going through and to the extent that they can be made cheaper, you're probably in favor from a business perspective, but in terms of price sensitivity, did you ever get the sense? And and by the way, the same article I saw your sale in and congratulations on that. A half floor on the 78th floor of the same building, $32 million. A duplex on Green Street, $35.6 million at a time when by a lot of indicators, we're really having trouble as an economy and people are really stressed out and we might go into a recession. Isn't, well, let me ask you a two-part question. How price sensitive on the margins of one or 2% is this market? And secondly, shouldn't the correct way for us to be looking at this is as, although they might be primary owner of residences, they are investments. People are seeking to put their money in New York real estate because they're not making any more of it and it's not going anywhere. Right. Um, so let me answer those two questions. One, how price sensitive are your clients? And two, should we really be looking at this as a tax on investment, not really so much an tax on someone's home? It's a bifurcated market right now, which is unfortunate because those who are interest rate sensitive are getting hit the hardest right now. And I'll give you just a very, very quick math. If you were to buy an $849,000 apartment in May 15th of 2022, if you were today buy that same apartment and keep your costs the same because interest rates have gone up. So to keep your monthly costs the same from 849, what do you need to pay today in that same apartment? The answer is about 695. That's only, hmm. only about two months ago since we're right. taping this at the end of July. So you can see if you're interest rate sensitive and you want to keep your monthly payments at a fixed level, prices have gone down for you because costs have gone up. If you're also buying with debt, you have to pay in New York State, you have a very hefty mortgage recording tax. I've argued for years that first-time buyers or buyers who earn under a certain amount of money should be exempt from the mortgage recording tax. It pushes people outside of buying because they can't afford the closing costs. When you're buying for 70 million, 50, whatever it is, you're not buying with a mortgage and you're not recording a mortgage with the state. So you're not paying the mortgage recording tax. So your costs to close are more because you need a mortgage. Right. And for many buyers, it's untenable. I think that's the kind of reform I'd like to see. I have a lot of clients that complain, uh, you know, if they're purchasing something for say $1.2 million, they have a lot of closing costs then other states, they don't have to pay. They're right. very high here in New York State. And let me just ask one final thing. I just out of curiosity, and I touched on it briefly earlier. Given what a choppy time this has been in international relations with two of what used to be our biggest sources of these kind of oligarch purposes, the Chinese purchases, the Chinese and the Russians, both of, yeah. both of those had ultra well-to-do people that were essentially using our market as a place to park their money because you don't want rubles and you don't want to be in yep. China. That's now at zero? Yes. No kidding. Anyway, I mean, zero. So if there's money in Hong Kong, it's easier to get it over here. But if it's in mainland China, it's it's basically not coming here. And so the oligarchs are just geopolitically right now just aren't doing anything. So we've lost those two really big tranches of the market. And those are more the buyers who would use these homes as sort of like glorified closets or stay in them very rarely, or they're, they're putting, you know, you used to also have disclosure where you didn't have to disclose. And so no one knew who the real buyer was. 
And the New York Times did a, a great series on that. The law was then changed. So now you, know, you need to know who the actual buyer is. Well, do you? I thought you could still buy as an LLC. You can buy an LLC, but there are disclosure requirements now. So it's not, it's not public. Like you can't sort of just do a property record search. You'll just see the LLC. But the governing entity, the city, is going to know who the buyer is. Let me ask one other question. You can put on your social entrepreneur hat, your activist hat, your political thinker hat on, and you can also help us do a little focus group of some of the clients that come through your door. What are the public policy things that wealthier people look for? I think there's a notion they're very tax sensitive, very concerned about taxes, but I imagine they also care about clean streets and safe streets and good schools and things like that. Is there as much of a gulf between the very well-to-do that you deal with and the middle-class residents of of Jackson Heights, for example, in terms of the issues that they care about? You would be amazed at the similarities. And I mean, from taking mass transit, you know, I've taken the subway with with billionaires. They ride it just like everyone else. Not, maybe not as frequently given, but what I hear outside of taxes honestly, is, is public safety. They want to, it's just a human nature. Every people want to feel safe. And there are times of day, parts of town where people feel the city's losing its way. And that's a concern I hear, I hear all the time. Outside of that, storefront vacancy is something that I hear across the board too. Because when you go and you travel the world, there's something about the quiescence of streets that like the, your thought of, New York City doesn't match the reality right now. And so I do hear, I do see that a lot. Why are there so many vacant stores here? And I didn't hear that before, but the concerns are generally the same, maybe less sensitive in some areas, but I think people who come here are more similar in in ways you wouldn't necessarily think. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time. Jason Haber of Compass, the author of The Business of Good, you also have done some teaching at John Jay College of Criminal Justice, I see. Where can someone reach you if they want to buy a $50 million apartment? <laughs> you can email me, jason.haber at Compass, at Twitter, at Jason Haber. You hunt me down and I'll be glad to help you. Even, <laughs> even for your audience, Anthony, under 50 is fine. No problem. <laughs> That's nice of you. Well, I, I really do appreciate it. You've been of, of great service. I know this personally as a resident of the city. You've given this stuff a lot of thought. As I said at the opening, I am glad people are coming and they're buying. I just want them to pay a little bit more tax. But I think besides that, you and I really seem to agree a great deal on this. And I really thank you for joining us on Keys to the City. You got it. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. And let's bring back the commuter tax, by the way. What, go ahead. Hey, this. What, right? what, I'm not going to edit it out. Go ahead. What, what do you want about the commuter tax? Okay. I just got to say, like, it drives me crazy that there's no commuter tax. Commuters, unlike people who may use a, an apartment as a closet, you know, commuters will come in, they'll use the city streets. When, when they're injured, they'll call our emergency medical services. They'll call our police. The commuters are a huge tax in the sense of the, how they tax the function of the city. And they pay no tax on that because of some idiotic state Senate seat that Shelley Silver tried to win a bunch of years ago. I don't wait. If, uh, hopefully you're talking about outside the five boroughs. Outside the five boroughs. No, no, outside the five boroughs. Right. I mean, I agree. I also think that if you're driving a truck, that takes up three times the space of a car that emits fumes three times or four times what a car is that we should 
have, if we're going to have a, diff a different tax, it should be on you too. What I've always had a problem with the commuter tax is this notion of the Manhattan Central Business District as being something that working class people don't have to go into from time to time because of their condition, because of their job, because that's what they have to do. But I agree with you. I think, you know, that if we are going to be beholden to a structure of the state in so many instances, we should have much more leeway in deciding what taxes we want to levy for people. And listen, to a large degree, this tax we're talking about today, this mansion tax and stock transfer, they go, they're urban taxes that go for, for these similar purposes. But I, I appreciate you putting it. If we do a Keesla sitting on that, will you come back? And, uh, and have, me back have me back on that and parking drive me crazy. So Fair enough. Well, a couple that. of episodes are going to be about parking. Good, so, uh, so, good. So, so I, I can't wait to listen to that one too. Thanks again, Jason Haber, and we'll be right back for some final thoughts after this. Well, thank you to Jason Haber for joining us. He gave us some good insight. To some degree, you know, if you think about it, a real estate agent, he didn't push back as hard as I thought he might. I mean, I think that he understands the imperative for supporting New York City institutions and supporting New York City infrastructure. I get that he knows that marketplace better than I, and for me to say that it's not that price sensitive is not the same as for him because he sits down and tallies up these closing costs. But I got to tell you, as I said to him, I would be really surprised if someone who says, I've got my heart set on this apartment and I'm negotiating you know, between $70 million and $69 million, I doubt very much an extra couple of points on the closing costs is going to be the deal breaker. But I appreciate Jason Haber. And I also appreciate you joining us on Keys to the City. We're getting some great feedback. There's a, an email address that if you'd like to be part of the conversation and suggest ideas for future episodes, keys to the city at wabcradio.com. You can also reach out and tweet about the episodes on at Rep Wiener, which is my Twitter handle. I admit I'm not. I've got mixed feelings about Twitter, and I think those of you who know my story would understand why. You can also get other podcasts, including a podcast version of my radio show, which is a weekly radio show that I do on Saturdays from 2 to 3 called The Middle on WABC Radio, and it's also available as a podcast. And then there's a third one from 3 to 4 the same day on Saturdays. Curtis Lee and I do a show called Left Versus Right. Sometimes it doesn't always break down like that. We agree on things frequently and we reminisce. We come from kind of the same firmament of New York politics at about the same time. And they're all available on anywhere you get your podcast. You can always get them all either by going to the WABC Radio website where there's a podcast clicked on the upper right. Or you can go to the Red Apple Podcast Network, which not only has my podcast, but all of the talent at WABC, some podcasts from them that mirror what they do on the radio and some which are various ones that they do, like I do Keys to the City. We really do appreciate your feedback up to now. Your support is really helpful. Subscribe. What do they say? Subscribe. Opine. Link to it. Send it to your friends. It really helps people learn about this. We've been growing every week, and it's really gratifying to see. And next week, I hope to see you back here on Keys to the City. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.